0: Ephesians chapter 6. I'm on here trying to. There we go. Okay. Boom. Okay. <laughs> the 6th chapter of Ephesians beginning at the 10th verse, Paul writes and says, "Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might." to stand. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your kindness. We thank you for your word, Lord, that you've given it and preserved it throughout history and uh, even allowed it to be translated in our very own language so that we might hear your voice speaking to us, your word, uh, in our mother tongue. So we thank you for that privilege, Lord. We pray that that you would speak to us this day from the Holy Scriptures and that you would write your word in our hearts and minds and use that to transform us in our thinking and in our speaking and in our doing, Lord, that in everything you would receive the glory and that we would walk in a manner pleasing to you. And I pray, Lord, at this time now, you'd give us all grace to pay heed to your word and to receive it and to believe it. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. So we come to this passage here, speaking of spiritual warfare. And it's pretty important. There's more to it than just what we read. The following verses speak about that actual spiritual armor that Paul is telling the Ephesian Christians to take up. But he tells them that here in this opening section. And what he's saying is that you're you're in a battle. You know, it's one thing to be in a battle. It's another thing to know that you're in a battle. The the most dangerous thing that can happen is when you're being set up by your enemy and you don't even know it. You know, if you read the book of Daniel, when uh, the king Belshazzar was uh, partying with his noblemen, using the vessels from the Lord's temple to drink wine and to get drunk and to praise their false gods, they thought everything was great because Babylon had these massive fortifications. They had walls that were 20 feet thick and about 40 feet high. The city was impregnable. There was no way you were going to get into it. And through the city ran their water source so they didn't have to go outside to get water. Uh, they had plenty of food, cattle, grain, everything stored up. So if someone did come and lay siege, uh, they would be safe. They thought they were fine. The one thing that they failed to realize that the uh, Medes and the Persians who were getting ready to take the city knew is that that water system that flowed through the city was a river and it went under the wall. So what the Persians did is diverted the river and there was just a big gigantically huge opening and their army marched right through that hole that went under their wall into the city and as if you know the book of Daniel, That night, Belshazzar was killed and the Persians took over and and, uh, Darius became the king of what was formerly the Babylonian Empire. They thought that they were safe and they didn't realize they weren't. They were in a battle. They didn't even deploy troops. They had no idea what was going on. Unfortunately, sadly, some people live their lives that way. Paul letting us know and he let the Ephesians know. That there's a battle going on. That's what he says. It's important for you to uh, be valorous, val- val- valorous in this battle. That there is a battle going on. As Matthew Henry said, it's requisite or necessary and appropriate that a soldier be both stout-hearted and well-armed. And that's what Paul is speaking of here. Paul's writing to people that lived in the Greco-Roman world. They knew about the Roman army. They knew, actually, many of them about the the Greek army before, and how they had fought, and how important it was for soldiers to stand side by side in in the battle line, and resist the enemy, and fight, and push the enemy back, break the enemy's lines, and then destroy the enemy and conquer. So Paul is calling them to do the same thing in a spiritual realm. He's saying you need to stand together, because when he says, having done all to stand, as, as he concludes in verse 13, Those are plural imperatives. He's saying, this is what you need to do. He's talking about standing together with your brothers and sisters. He starts off with verse 10 and says, finally, my brethren. This is one of those cases where he says, finally, and he doesn't go on for three more more chapters. Okay, sometimes preachers will say, in conclusion, and then it's like, oh, good, we only have another half hour to go. Uh, Paul, when he says, finally, my brethren, He's doing, remember, I've referred to what John Chrysostom would do in, in Constantinople when he preached in the fifth century. About uh, two thirds through his sermon, he would say, But what does all this mean in his homilies? And then he would make application. That's really what Paul is doing here. Paul has, through chapters one through this section up to chapter six, set forth some of the most glorious, wonderful truths ever spoken or written by the spoken by the mouth of man and written by the hand of man under the inspiration of god the truths of our salvation our election our calling our sanctification our salvation by grace alone through faith received through faith the righteousness of christ given to us the fact that we were dead in trespasses and sins and have been raised up that we were crucified with christ raised with him uh, and the fact that christ has a church he has appointed elders in that church he's given officers uh, apostles prophets evangelists and then the permanent offices of pastor and teacher christ has a kingdom and it is organized and it is governed according to his word christ didn't leave us destitute the writer of the hebrews says that as moses was faithful in all his house the son was even more faithful and some of you noticed that and said well look at all the detail of the organization of the nation of israel set forth in the law and so we're to believe that church government is just kind of up in the air and that there's really nothing clearly spoken about it in the scriptures. You know, some people that don't want to follow certain things in scripture will say that often. At the Reformation, though, men looked at the word. and They said, no, there's clear instruction that churches are to be governed by elders. Some elders are set aside to be ministers of the word. Minister, by the way, means servant. It doesn't mean Lord. Uh, And there's deacons in the church and the, the body functions. And we all have a place in it we all have gifts and graces and we're to bless others so the church is organized that's important because if we're going to stand together you need to know who your enemy is you need to know who you are christ hasn't called you as an individual that you have to go out now and conquer the world he's telling you you're part of his church he didn't say you know you are peter after peter confessed that jesus was the christ petros means a little stone that's movable petros in greek Uh, that's the name of peter but he said upon this petra that means a big giant massive rock i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it he didn't say upon this rock i will build my church and individual christians all by themselves will be able to break down the gates of hell now god does use individuals we're not going to negate that but we do need to recognize we're called as the body of christ It's not just superfluous for you to be part of a local church and part of God's people. You're called to stand. This is when he says, my brethren. Note these are plural um, admonitions, plural commands. Finally, my brethren, plural, be strong in the Lord. In the original, that's a plural verb. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So your strength is to come from the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Then he says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So Peter uh, calls us to stand together and he says, Be vigilant, be sober, that uh, means be sober-minded. It also means don't get drunk, okay? But it does mean be sober-minded, be serious-minded. You're in a, a spiritual battle. And he says, your enemy, the devil, so he identifies our enemy for us, the devil, uh, he goes about as a roaring lion. Now, I've heard people say that roaring lions uh, are not usually the ones that take the prey. They, I've read from a couple of sources, actually, that when lions hunt the old ones that are not quite as agile as the younger ones, they'll get on one side of a herd and they'll roar and frighten it, whether antelope or something else. And when the deer or antelope, whatever it is, when they hear it, they begin to run and they run right into the others that are on the other side waiting for them. And so when the devil roars, he's just making a lot of noise to try to scare you so he can trip you up, make you think, Oh, if I do what God says, I'll, I'll, I'll be in trouble. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to think. Well, In Smyrna, Jesus said that, told them in in Revelation chapter 2, verse uh, 8 through 11, he told them that the devil was going to throw some of them into prison. Now, did the devil come, you know, dressed in a red suit with a pitchfork and throw them into prison? No, we used the local civil authorities to accomplish that in the Roman government, because the word devil in Greek is diabolos. And if you look it up, you'll find that the word diabolos means slanderer. That's the root meaning of it. Literally, it means one who casts down on one side. You know, they're kind of talking aside, just slandering. Uh, And the devil is a slanderer. He's the great accuser of the brethren. The Bible tells us that Satan has a kingdom. In Matthew chapter 12, Christ actually refers to it. When they accused Jesus of casting out demons by the prince of demons, he rebuked them. And if you want to turn there in your Bible, I'm trying to get there as quickly as I can. There we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says in verse 25, this is when they were saying, um, if you read verse 24, the Pharisees, note it says uh, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, which means the literally Lord of the Flies. Uh, the ruler of the demons. That was uh, one of the local pagan deities of the Philistines. So they said, Jesus is doing this by the power of the devil. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? He's saying the devil wouldn't do that. Uh, but notice how will his what kingdom stand? So the devil has a kingdom. It's all by usurpation and lies. Jesus said in John uh, chapter eight. Uh, he said to the uh, those who were withstanding his teaching, the the Pharisees. He said to them finally, he said, "You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do." And then Christ tells us something interesting. He says. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks it of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So the devil sinned of himself. But Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. Now, it's an interesting thing because, you know, if you know the Genesis account, how did man fall into sin? Eve standing pretty close by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were told not to eat of it. And then the serpent begins to speak to her. And we know from the rest of Scripture that that serpent was possessed by Satan. And the serpent tells her, you know, God God said, you can't eat of all the trees of the garden. And he said, oh, no, 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 we're just not supposed to eat of this one. So he gets her to focus on the thing that's forbidden. And... She says, We're not, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor touch it, which God never said. They couldn't touch it. I've mentioned that before, lest you die. And the Hebrew is they use the use of the word lest there is a Hebrew word pen. It means perhaps. So she made the commandment stricter than it was, and the penalty of just a possibility. It's not what God had said. God said, Thou shalt not eat of it. Not ye, you know, plural, thou. That was an individual command. Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. It's the old King James English, but it's pretty to the point. Okay. So, so she changes what God said. And then it's interesting because when Satan then responds, he says, You shall not surely die. I Maybe mean, she didn't say that. That's what God said. See, God isn't uh, God gave his word. The devil's not interested in overthrowing a paraphrase of God's word. There's plenty of that out there. He's not interested in overthrowing somebody's misunderstanding of it. He's happy that that's going on. What he's going after is getting them to break with what God actually said. Paul says also in Ephesians that uh, we are not ignorant of the devil's methodologies. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says we are not ignorant of his devices or his wiles. Okay, uh, So we can know what he's up to if we study God's word. Satan has a kingdom. Paul tells us in this passage in Ephesians that Satan's kingdom is made up of, what's he say? Um, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. Methodius is the actual word, methods or tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, literally that in the Greek, that's, It is not to us to wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay. Elsewhere we read, God has appointed the civil magistrate and put in his hand, the the sort of vengeance. And so the civil magistrate, that realm that is also under, to be under the authority of Christ and is under his lordship, that realm, police officers, soldiers, they do have authority when they're acting justly. Uh, They have authority to wrestle against flesh and blood, but we don't. That's what Paul's saying. As a church, as God's, kingdom or this aspect of his kingdom the church it's not to us to wrestle against flesh and blood but what but against what he says but against principalities the word prince is there uh it means you know just that the uh, rulers in, that have authority principalities against li- these are all definite article nouns okay they we have the principalities literally against the powers that is the authorities um usurped authority You know, Satan has authority, but it's all stolen. You know, it's kind of like what Luther said in regard to the Pope uh, at the Reformation. Luther said, he asked the question, he just said, what does the Pope have that he didn't steal? Because he got everything through life. He's not the head of the church. He's not the vicar of Christ on earth. He's certainly not the most holy father. That's a blasphemous name if ever there was one. Most is a superlative. Jesus said, call no man on earth your father, referring to religious titles. He's the most holy father. Jesus addresses God the father in his prayer in John 17 as holy father. That's a title of divinity. And through that, the papacy was able to deceive and still does millions and millions. You could also say maybe billions of people, but we'll keep it conservative. Millions of people have been deceived by the lies that he told why so? Uh, and what's been the result? Well, the Vatican City, you know, in St. Peter's Basilica is plastered over with gold an inch thick in some places, you know, and I always remember the, the meme where it, it showed uh, uh, with the last Pope, and he said, you know, we must remember to help the poor, and somebody added, says the Pope from his golden throne. <laughs> okay, so the point is, is that the devil has a usurped authority. The Pope's authority, by the way, is usurped. Okay, not trying to offend Roman Catholics if they trust in Christ all as well. But if they're following the lies of the of the uh, Church of Rome, they've got some problems. There are Catholics that read their Bibles, so we don't want to start hating people or something like that. Okay, so there are though in this in the spiritual realm there are authorities the rulers of the darkness of this age so this tips us off he, paul's naming the power here in these first three what their offices are and he says against the spiritual host host means armies of wickedness in the heavenly places so he's saying we're dealing with spiritual powers that are you can you know sometimes referred to, refer to it as the spirits of the atmosphere but he says they're even in the heavenly places you know satan in revelation is uh we're told that he's cast out of heaven at a certain point that's why he says therefore take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day that is the day when satan's running loose and having done all to stand so he says you've got a battle in front of you now we know where satan began we also know what he's doing and we know his end there's some interesting passages some will say well are these directly to be understood of of satan himself and his fall i personally think so one is in isaiah chapter 14 and you guys turn there just listen carefully as i read the passage in isaiah chapter uh, 14 the uh, lord is here addressing uh, the king of babylon And it talks in in verse four he says well you will take up this proverb against the king of babylon and uh saying against the king of babylon oh, excuse me against him and say how the oppressor has ceased now the king of babylon is being addressed same way like in the garden eve was talking to the snake there was something behind that or within that and so here we see the king of babylon being rebuked how the oppressor has ceased so this is a prophecy the golden city ceased the lord has broken the staff of the wicked the scepter of the rulers who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke, who ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted and no one hinders. Talking about the fall of Babylon. Jump down to verse 9, it says, Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. Now this is a, prophecy and it's kind of you might say parabolic in its nature uh but it's talking about what's going on in the spiritual realm they all shall speak and say to you have you also become as weak as we have you become like us your pomp is brought down to sheol or hell and the sound of your stringed instruments the maggot is spread under you and the worms cover you and then isaiah says this how you are fallen from heaven O lucifer Son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You shall be brought down to Sheol to hell to the lowest depths of the pit and many have noted uh that's not doesn't doesn't really sound like he's just talking only to the king of Babylon there particularly when he says oh Lucifer by the way Lucifer there's actually if you do scholarly research you find you're looking through the list of the saints in the early church and you you know, oh, so, you know St. Ignatius, you know, St. John, and so then you come up, St. Lucifer? There actually was a guy named Lucifer who was a saint. That term, that name wasn't always considered bad. Lucifer comes from the, the, the luce, light, and pharos means to bear, light bearer. It's actually the term used to describe the um, planet Venus when it rises in the horizon. And it's like that was... You say, was that supposed to be Lucifer? Well, it's not. It's a planet, right? It's not Lucifer. But it was. that was the name given, the light bearer, because it was so bright in the heavens. And I was like it because when uh, Venus is coming up in the mornings, you see it. It's rising, and it's getting higher and higher and higher. And it looks like it's going to just be the most dominant thing in all the sky. And then the sun comes up. <laughs> the son of righteousness rises with healing in his wings, as Malachi said. And pretty soon the morning star is gone. The morning star is not the devil. If you see that, praise God. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. Uh, there actually was a guy on a, a, a airport one time in the tower when he saw it, it was a young guy, just started working as an air controller. We'll appreciate this. And he saw a light coming. And so he, Gave it clearance to land. He thought it was a plane coming with its headlight on. And the other guys laughed because they said, you just gave the planet Venus clearance to land here. Uh, So they didn't let him forget that either. Now it's pretty well common knowledge. Uh, So it's a very bright, beautiful star. When it was named that, it wasn't, that wasn't considered a bad term. Okay. Uh, But it is nice to know that even though it, you know, if you think, oh, that's what they make, maybe that when the sun rises, it's gone. Okay. It's still there, but it has no glory. Okay. So that's one of the pictures. So here we read this about this, this one called Lucifer, in translation anyway, who says, I'm going to ascend in heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Basically the one saying, I'll be like God. It's not going to happen. He says, you'll be cast down into hell. And in Ezekiel chapter 26, is another one of these uh, references. Ezekiel 26 uh, at verse 13 is what I have in my notes. And I'm looking to see, I think this is the passage. Um, Oh my, I must, I must, I wrote down the wrong reference, I think. Unless somebody sees it right there. It's where the, uh, He's addressing the king of Tyre, but it's pretty clear he's, he starts talking about uh, the the devil himself. And I wrote, the, yeah, okay, this is me in my notes. I apologize, okay? The one from Isaiah is close enough. That there might actually be a cross-reference, so you can do some Bible study on your own and find that passage in Ezekiel. I'm going to move on, okay? But the point is we know Satan's origin. If you read the book of Genesis, you find out that when the six days of creation were completed, it says, "And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good." All right. So, I don't believe Satan had fallen prior to the conclusion of the six days of creation because everything was good; there was no sin in the universe. Some people say, "Well, Satan, you know, he fell millions, billions, trillions of years, aeons prior to the creation, etc." Scripture doesn't uphold that. Scripture says that the creation and the devil is a creature fallen but he was created, uh, that the original creation was all good. And so I personally think that the the day he came and tempted Adam and Eve was probably the day he himself decided to try to usurp God's authority. And in Revelation, it refers to the dragon sweeping a third of the stars from heaven. And some believe that might be a reference to the number of angels that sided with him. Uh, Paul speaks of those angels that sinned, Jude also talks about it, are bound in darkness now until the day of judgment. And so there were angels that fell with Satan. They're chained, but apparently he still has a government that functions of principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. And so Satan has a kingdom. World rulers uh, uses that term. So we fight against these, and that's why we're to be armed, spiritual arms for fighting spiritual foes. We find that Satan as I said he has a kingdom it is organized but we're saved out of it in Colossians 1:13 Paul says it uh, we've been translated from the from darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son uh, if you want to turn there it's a passage worth reading the first chapter of Colossians 1 13, after Paul says we should be giving thanks, he says he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul says that, oh, you have that passage? Pardon me? Ezekiel 28. 28. Thank you. I was close. All right. Well, we'll go back and look at that. Uh, let's see, 28, at verse 13, there we read, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up the lamentation for the king of king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord. Again, the king of Tyre is being addressed here, but it, again, it comes across like something more than just him is being addressed, the power behind him. And he says, uh, goes on, says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. See, again, that sets it back at, within the six days of creation when Adam was in the garden. And note he says, you are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You are in Eden, the garden of God. Now, the king of Tyre had not been personally in the garden of Eden, but someone else had. That was the power behind him. So, we do learn from this that Satan does use wicked rulers to accomplish his purpose. So, when we speak about spiritual fights, we do recognize yes, there are evil men that are used of Satan to try to accomplish his purposes. So, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering the Sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald. With gold, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Remember on the Ark of the Covenant, there were two cherubs that they were told to make symbolizing uh, God's presence in heaven. They said the glory of God, you know, would would be in the, the midst. But there were two cherubs that covered or angelic beings. It says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence. Again, now he's talking to the king of Tyre, but he's addressing the one behind him. Uh, You became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground and laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a, a horror and shall be no more forever. Now that's future yet. But we see here that that seems to be a reference to Satan's fall when he was in Eden. And then basically decided he should be god he just fell in love with himself Uh, the original narcissism began with the enemy and so we get some insight into satan's beginning his present works we are fighting a spiritual battle Uh, we fight against wickedness in high places paul said in second corinthians chapter 11 paul talks about some of the the wiles or the tricks of the devil in second corinthians chapter 10 paul says um, let me tell you what he says when I get there, <laughs> okay? Uh, in Second Corinthians chapter 10 at verse 3, Paul says for though we walk in the flesh talking to Christians now, he says though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh as we don't carry swords for spirit you know, physical swords for spiritual battles all right. So he says, uh, we don't war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You know, if you go up against a city, you lay siege, you're going to pull down the stronghold. And then he tells us what he means by this, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul makes application to their circumstances in their church. But note that our spiritual warfare, it has to do, one aspect of it is casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Again, note bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, some read this and say, Ah, oh, see, God wants me to win every argument I get into. He's talking about first what you need to do to yourself. Okay, you need to take your thoughts and make sure that they are uh, led captive, led uh, you know, brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And it is interesting when he says bringing every thought into captivity. The Greek there is literally being led at spear point, okay, when you captured your enemies. And he's saying, first, this has to be done. And no, Paul's not saying, you know, those people. He's saying, this is what we do. Now, granted, we do go against arguments, falsehoods, the lies. Remember, the devil is a liar. Well, I don't know that I've ever personally heard the devil tell a lie. Never actually seen him, okay. But I've heard a few lies that i were pretty sure he inspired, okay. And if you look at some of the things that passes for truth or, you know, all the garbage going on in our culture right now, it's like Satan's telling them a lot of lies to the point that if you speak out against the immorality, the perversion, all the transsexual stuff and all that, you know, weird garbage and the attempt to, to corrupt children, if you speak out against it in some circles, you're the bad guy. You become now accused. Well, who does the accusing in those situations? Well, Satan does. How does he do it? Through stupid, ignorant people. But when I say stupid, I mean dull, thick thinkers. Okay, I'm not trying to say I'm smarter than anybody else. That sure isn't, isn't the case. Okay, wicked people are often highly more intelligent than the righteous. Jesus even said that, you know, that the children of this world are uh, sometimes brighter than God's children. Okay, but they're wrong if they're not following God's word. Our job is to bring, every, bring down arguments and bring every thought captive uh, to the knowledge of Christ. That means the battle that we're fighting is in the mental area, okay, to our thoughts. Are. We see this really clear uh, in regard to Judas Iscariot when uh, we're told in, uh, in Luke 20, 22, verse 3, and John 13, 27, that at the Last Supper, when Jesus gave Judas the piece of bread, it said, Satan entered into him. And then Jesus told him, what you're going to do, go do quickly. And then he left. Uh, Judas was possessed by Satan at that point. But if you look at John thirteen two, John tells us Satan having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. First came the thought, later came the action. If we're going to fight our spiritual enemy, we need to know where the battleground is. Martin Luther said, no matter how courageously you conduct yourself, you know, as a soldier of Christ, if you're not actually fighting where the battle's going on, then you're worthless. We need to know where the battle is. And the one very important thing is your mind. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice to God, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. And so the battles in the mind, primarily in these things, we see how the devil wins over people's opinions. uh, And he has his servants. They serve him. Elemus, remember in Acts when Paul was preaching in Acts 13 before uh, Paulus. And when he preached in front of the consul, and then it says Elemus, the sorcerer began to, Try to oppose what Paul was saying, and Paul rebuked him, and he called him a, a child of the devil. You son of the devil, he said. Uh, John in First John talks about those who continue in sin are children of the devil. He says a very interesting thing that uh, in in John First John three eight, and this is important in speaking of spiritual warfare. In 1 John chapter 3, John says, first, little children, this is verse 7, 1 John 3, 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. So if someone says they're right with God, they'll be doing what is right, okay, just as he is righteous that is god he who sins and remember that the old king james he that sinneth that is continue on continues in it continues on doing it uh not one who breaks with sin through repentance and and sorrow for their sins and wants to make things right he who sins is of the devil john said for the devil has sinned from the beginning okay that the genesis account for the, but then we have this statement It's very wonderful for this purpose the son of god was manifested that is jesus came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil okay and you say well what does that mean well john tells us whoever has been born of god that is their hearts been changed by trusting in christ by a work of grace whoever has been born of god does not sin now again in the greek theory, that's a present tense idea It means they're not continuing on in sin, all right? He said in chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So he's not talking about sinlessness here. He's saying they don't continue sinning. They've broken with it. They struggle now against it, and there's still sin in us, and we need to recognize that. Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. For to will is present, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. That is if I just look at myself. I have to ask God for strength and help, but we still struggle. That's the point. So when when John says here, whoever's been born of God does not sin, he's not talking about sinless perfection in this life. The time will come, though, when that will happen. All presence of sin will be removed. For his seed remains in him. That is, he's been born again. And he cannot sin, he can't continue in it, because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So he takes it down. He says, that's one of the areas. Satan wants to make sure that people don't love each other. Remember, Jesus said in the last days, he said, because the iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And that doesn't mean that they won't necessarily have a warm, mushy feeling in their hearts when they think about loving others. It means they'll never show it by their actions. Remember, John also says, don't love in word only, but in deed and in truth. But here note, it says, the Son of God came... Verse 8, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, there are various words in the Greek language that are translated to destroy something. Uh, this word here is from the word luo. Okay. Any of you that know, study Greek now that's the, the model verb that we study. Luo can mean to loose, to untie, or to destroy. And it's an interesting word because the idea is that the destruction is done by removing the cohesion. If you destroy a wall you pull the bricks apart okay or the stones if you destroy something and if you the word luo is used the idea is that you know you have something that's bundled up and then its cohesion is removed so it falls apart it has no cohesion and the way jesus destroys satan's kingdom is by the the truth by the light of the gospel and the darkness flees but by the light of the truth, Satan's kingdom loses cohesion and falls apart. You know, that unity that the wicked claim to have, pretty soon, leave them alone, they're all at each other's throats. If you look at the Marxist takeover of Russia, you know, under uh, Stalin, Lenin first, the Marxist-Leninist doctrines, and then uh, as Lenin applied it in the Russian Revolution, everybody was united all of, you know in, in one, and then pretty soon the persecutions began. And then under Stalin, major persecutions began. And then as the gospel continued to be preached in an underground manner most of the time, but eventually, you know, it came and really it happened in Hungary when the uh, secret police were sent and basically they were told to go kill a preacher that was opposing Ceaușescu. And they went there and that's what they'd been doing. But finally, at one time, one of them had enough conscience and when they were sent to go murder a, a and he was a reformed preacher, actually. When they were sent to kill him, one of them just said, "No, I'm not going to do this. It's wrong," because the influence of their culture and the got. Hopefully, it was the gospel. But once that started, then it spread like wildfire. Once you couldn't get your Paxmen to go ahead and kill people for you, suddenly they had no cohesion, and Hungary fell, and in, in this uh, Soviet Union, what happened? To it it fell apart. It lost its cohesion. And that's the way Satan's kingdom is destroyed. That's a political application, but it happens in a person's life also. The devil's works lose cohesion by the grace of God through the Son of God. And so when we ask God to help us, the power that Satan has in binding people falls apart, and he can't do it. And so it's through the preaching of the gospel. It's by the the light is what destroys darkness. There's a lot more to this. I apologize, you know, it's kind of... Seeming somewhat scattered because I've got tons of stuff here in my notes that I want to share with you. And it's almost it's almost like I'm having to fight a battle to tell you this stuff. OK, so you know, keep me in your prayers. But there's a whole lot on this spiritual war. We're going to look at this also in the weeks ahead. OK, um, but the Bible says, you know, the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfastly in the faith. Also, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James says that. Draw near to God and he, God. Somebody read that one time. He said, did it say if I draw near to God, the devil will draw near to me? No, that's not what that's saying. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. There's the antecedent. And he will draw near to you. Okay. It's putting how people can get. It's almost like the devil was trying to trip him up on that. You know, well, if I try to draw near to God, the devil's going to attack me. Well, he might, but he can't do anything. He's a roaring lion, but he's on a chain. You know, I love John Bunyan's illustration when uh, Pilgrim was going to the house of interpreter. There's two lions in the path in front of him. Well, I think it was his one companion. Ignorance, when he saw him, he turned and ran away. He said, this is too much. Uh, Bunyan decided he was going to go ahead and progress. And also evangelists told him he could. And so he went and when he, he realized, oh, they're on chains. They can only go so far. And so he was able, if he stayed on the path, he was able to get to the door and move ahead. So it's just an interesting illustration of kind of a parable that Bunyan wrote. But that's, I think, a a very true illustration. The devil does not have unlimited power. The devil is a creature. He's made by God. He's sinned in and of himself. God has a purpose. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation in chapter 20 that Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire. And there he'll be tormented forever and ever. And and he knows that. And that's why it says also that the devil was cast down from heaven and he has great wrath because he knows that he has, but a short time. So we see all these things going on in our culture and in the political realm. And it just looks like Satan's just tearing up everything. Yeah, he, because he knows he has a short time. He can't stand against the truth. God has called us to walk with Christ and to speak the truth and recognize that the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus isn't frustrated. The devil can't keep anyone from coming to Christ. If you remember the man that was uh, possessed of the, the the devils, it's recorded. We'll look at the passage in Luke. I, this is important to look and we'll close with this. In Luke chapter 8, this is recorded in all three of the Gospels, but in, in Luke chapter 8, At verse uh, 26, there we read, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes. This was on the Sea of Galilee, which is opposite Galilee. That is the region. And when he stepped out on the land, and note this, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him. And I believe it's Mark says he fell down and worshipped him. Fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he, that is Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because the demons had entered him. Elsewhere it says Legion, for there were many. A legion, by the way, was 10,000 soldiers in the Roman Empire. Okay. And so this demon's name was Legion. And they begged him, that is, the demons begged Jesus, that he would not command them to go out into the abyss, now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would uh, permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, because they should have had swine there anyway, But uh, and the herd ran violently down, violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Then those who fed them saw what had happened, and they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in in his right mind. And they were afraid. Note that we see the mental aspect of this, where the devil tries to influence people. They also, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the gadareans asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear apparently they weren't worried too much about the the demons but they didn't like the fact that jesus had destroyed their herd of pigs uh, they asked him to leave and he got in the boat and returned now the man whom the demons had departed from uh, from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him but jesus sent him away saying return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city and elsewhere, it says throughout Decapolis, that whole region, uh, what great things Jesus had done for him. So we see demonic powers, however, you know, they can't stand up against Jesus. One thing that's important to note here, demon-possessed persons in the Gospels uh, that were encountered in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were more tormentors than empowering people okay some people think oh if you're demon possessed you can break chains like this guy this guy was totally tormented it says elsewhere he was in the rocks crying out day and night cutting himself with stones he was in an absolute miserable miserable condition uh because of whatever these devils were doing to him and but when he saw jesus says he came in and i believe it is mark it says he came uh, running to jesus and it says and he worshiped him and so the devil's power is definitely limited he can't keep anybody from coming to jesus so if you're troubled or you think like well i don't know you know i've got things going on sometimes i think the devil's got too much of a grip on me cry off to the lord jesus christ that's even what that man did uh and what did jesus do jesus never turned away anybody that came to him in simple faith trusting him and so you know we recognize we have a spiritual battle we need to take up the full armor of god we're going to talk more about that next week what that actually means But understand this, you have an enemy out there. It's the devil himself. And here's the thing, the devil doesn't like you. If you want to wonder what he was trying to tell me today, number one, the devil does not like you. All right. Number two, the devil is way more powerful than you are, but he's not more powerful than Jesus Christ. And number three, the devil's not afraid of you, but he's afraid of Jesus Christ. So what do you need to do if you think the devil's troubling you or you look like, eh, I think the devil's had a little too much sway. Am I? Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him. Like I say, the devil's not afraid of you, but he's afraid of Jesus. OK, so if you're being troubled in your mind or you're, you know, just not sure what to think. Well, first and foremost, call out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, don't. If you come across people who are depressed or suffering from mental illness, don't jump and say, oh, clearly demon possessed. All right. That's not always the cause of mental illness or depression and things like that. So don't be foolish. Okay, Pray for people if they're in those conditions. But recognize some have said what after the ministry of Jesus, you don't really see this happening much. You know, some circles today, they're so busy casting out demons and devils, et cetera, et cetera. It seems they never have enough time to talk to God. They're always rebuking the devil. But in the uh, epistles of Paul, he never mentions demon possession. He did cast a demon out of a girl uh, when he was in Philippi. But it seems like where the gospel was preached, demon possession was not a problem anymore. So uh, because darkness can't stay where the light shines. And if Christ is in your heart. You don't have to worry about demon possession. You have the spirit of God. Just don't let the devil influence your thinking. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us now. We pray that you would apply your word to our hearts so that we might actually be fit soldiers in your kingdom to stand against the devil and his host. Help us to recognize his wiles, his tricks, so that we're not taken in by them. And give us grace, Lord, we pray, to truly walk as children of light, to walk in the light of your word and not to follow uh, the foolishness of this world or the foolish notions of our own heart or any suggestions from the enemy. Help us, Lord, to lead every thought captive to your obedience, Lord Jesus Christ, first with ourselves and also helping others to come to know you. And we commit ourselves into your gracious care. And Father, we thank you for your son, who was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray that your kingdom would come, as we prayed earlier, and that your will, Father, would be done on earth as it is in heaven. For we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.